Welcome back to The Lounge. It's always a pleasure to speak to guest experts who have been through a lot of what they talk about and can give you their best tips and tools for living your best life. And Jill Williams is the founder of Uptrained Brain, and I wanted to pick her brains all about imposter syndrome. Welcome to The Lounge, Jill. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to have you here. And please, first of all, tell me a little bit about Uptrained Brain. Okay, well, this is a 10-week program that was inspired by all the hardworking clients I see. So it's teaching them all the key things that I think most people would benefit from understanding and then helping them to apply all that psychological knowledge to the the key areas that people tend to struggle with. So it's a five-step or sort of five-part program, if you like. Firstly, looking at better managing stress and avoiding burnout. Uh, Number two is dealing with self-criticism, so how to silence that harsh inner critic we often have going on. Uh, Number three, looking at self-sabotaging behaviours, so things like procrastination, avoidance, people-pleasing. Uh, lack of assertiveness, things like that. Then number four, we have managing worry, rumination, overthinking, however you want to term it. And it ends lastly with a personalized blueprint for how you're going to keep progressing without me, with that newfound confidence and with new goals. Um, So it's partly flexible on online learning to do in your own time with at least two sessions with me along the way for that individualized aspect. Um, And before I'd accept it on the course, there would also be a free initial assessment just to make sure the course was right for them, because, of course, it won't be right for everybody. And I don't want to promise what I don't think we could deliver. I called it the uptrained brain, really, because I really want to encourage people to think of the use of psychology, not as something they draw on when they're in utter crisis, but really just as a smart way to enhance their career training and lead a happier, more rewarding life in and out of work, really. I love this, Jill. Already I'm thinking, do you know what? I think I need your cause because as much (laughs) as you think you've worked through a lot of this stuff, it just keeps coming back every so often. And I think, you know, the fact that you add that extra bit of this is how you manage without me is so important because it does mean we can go away and keep using all of those tools. It's not just like, oh, I must have my therapist in or I must have the counsellor in. And so on no. with me all the time. You you really empower people, which is which is fantastic. Yes, I hope so. This idea of imposter syndrome or imposter mm. phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, can you tell me a little bit about how perhaps your clients have experienced that in the past? I know that will come in with all the, the critical yeah. inner voice, the the Absolutely. lack of assertiveness, all of the things that you mentioned is that it probably comes into that somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you said, it was originally called the imposter phenomenon, something that was first termed in about 78, I think, by people, um, some US psychologists studying high achievers. And it's really that belief of of just not feeling good enough in what you're doing, not feeling worthy, a fear that in some way people are going to realise this at some point and you'll be found out to be a fraud in whatever role or situation you're in. And that often comes, of course, with, you can imagine, accompanying changes in mood. So it's likely to come with low mood or anxiety. And it's not a clinical problem or diagnosis that's such in itself, but it can be associated with clinical depression or anxiety. Um, and also with a real fear of, fear of failure as well. And you can usually see that, well, you can see that being played out in their behavior as well in, in people that, that have sort of imposter phenomenon and don't feel good enough. I like to think of it as being 
three P's really. P being um, procrastination or avoidance. So very often people are avoiding challenges or only taking on straightforward work, keeping their head down, trying to avoid being noticed or getting promotion. Uh, The other P comes for people pleasing. So trying too hard to impress, lack of boundaries, you know, not being able to say no to things. So overworking really. Mm. Uh, And the third P is for perfectionism, or I suppose I should say excessive perfectionism. So that's when people are given absolutely 100% to everything, including every insignificant task. You know, success alone is not enough. It must be perfect to be okay. And so those three Ps, I'm going to add another one now just to confuse things. They often come along as well with um, an unhelpful internal process. So you mentioned that ruminating and and self-criticism as well. It's so fascinating because imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon it it does seem to affect people who to all intents and purposes if you look on the outside seem to be doing particularly well you said high achievers and yeah and they it's almost as if you work and you work and you work because you fear that if you stop working suddenly the whole house of cards is going to come crashing down but it's about learning it's not a house of cards is it it's it's yeah. genuine work and I mean how might imposter syndrome start with somebody who has really been quite successful all their lives or is it what drives the success do you think there's a bit of both going on in there yeah it's hard to know really isn't it I would I would imagine that there might be some element of that actually of people that perhaps if you perhaps do have are lacking that that lack of self-confidence or do worry about what people think of you then you perhaps are more likely to do have that driving you for success. But we also know that really, for most people, any change of role or a new situation can trigger it. So Mm. I think recent studies have shown anywhere between 70 and 92% of people will experience it at some point. Wow. But for most people, it's just temporary. And of course, the problem becomes when you're long past any, any change of situation, and this is now your new normal. Mm. And you're still feeling that you have to do that. 100%. 100%. I mean, yeah. actually, aiming for excellence is never a bad thing, but it's it's one of your P's I, I want to yeah. talk about here, is that perfectionism, because perfectionism is so subjective anyway. I mean, if I did something and I finally thought it was perfect for me, I use that perfect in, in inverted commas there, Yeah, it, it probably wouldn't be perfect to somebody else, because really, perfectionism... It's it's so down to the individual, and yet it's something we seem to want to strive for all the time. How I, I yeah. guess how do we almost manage that in our heads? I think sometimes one useful way is to think about you know when you think you've got so far with a with a task, but you don't think it's good enough. Think about well, okay, if I saw my peer handing this in or discussing this, would I think it was good enough from them? Because very often the standards we have for ourselves are way above what we think is acceptable and, you know, and even better than acceptable, really good from somebody else. Yeah, that's so true. And I I think that leads me on to the next question is what sort of things can we do about this? Obviously, I know your cause will cover a lot more of this in greater detail, but some of your top tips for four when we get those feelings of oh I'm not good enough or I I don't think I can do this and it as you say is long past that point where we did change roles and we're probably quite competent yeah and I think it's worth noting as well you know as you said it's usually high achieving people 
it's usually where people are quite emotionally invested. So this feels like a key part of who they are. So you can imagine if you're, you know, obviously if you're a doctor or a lawyer, how long have you spent to get there, even to the most junior ranks? It's a long time. That feels like a key part of who you are. So, of course, you're emotionally invested in that. So being successful is not just about your job. It feels like it reflects on who you are as well. Um, and we know it's also especially prominent as well, where people feel their their particular identity is underrepresented. So, for example, if you're only one of a small percentage of black, Asian or minority ethnic background employees in your organization or perhaps if there's your gender is disproportionately represented so for example women in the tech industry you know these things can lead you to question whether you deserve to be there i would say first of all you know to to notice that that internal dialogue that tells you mm. you're not good enough and remind yourself that you know what that's a thought it's not the same as a fact yeah you know it's it's like going to the gym to grow muscle you know you're going to get some discomfort you're going to get some aches and pains and personal growth is the same. You know, when it's unfamiliar, it feels uncomfortable. But that's also a sign when we're out of our comfort zone that we're in the best place for learning and growing. So if you do feel uncomfortable, try not to read too much into it. Mm. It can be a useful way initially to think about it. Um, and I would also suggest as well, if you feel able to, you try and talk to some peers. Because people often presume they're the only ones struggling with, with feelings of being an imposter or of not feeling good enough. And talking yeah. to other people will often normalize that other people get those doubts too. And if you can see somebody you admire and look up to that says that they get those feelings, I think it reinforces that, oh, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. I uh, and it's that. nice. Yeah. And it's nice if you're in a peer group, if you can share your failures as well as successes. You know, um, people with imposter syndrome tend to brush off successes. So I'd always encourage them to take time to celebrate that. But also it's good to hear about other people's failures. It might sound a bit mean, but it shows you that actually, you know, not everyone gets there first time. It can take a long time to get to a certain point and there can be a lot of hurdles along the way. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. It was it's interesting. I was interviewed uh, for another radio station and the first question was actually explore one of your own failures and what you learned <laughs> from it before we started talking about failure. Yeah. And I think that's that's great because there's been some recent research. Lauren Howe has been looking at uh, future leadership. And one of the key mm -hmm. things she's found is when leaders share their failures or yeah. it, it makes them more human, it makes them more approachable yeah. and accessible, and we feel more able to learn from them. So that's a really wonderful thing. Can I be cheeky, though, and ask? No, what go for it. I know my own background it's mm -hmm. southeast asian so a bit tiger yeah. mom kind of yeah. upbringing <laughs> where failure was not really acceptable it, it would yeah. be that almost stereotypical oh you got 98 percent. what happened to the other two let's focus on that bit yeah. kind of thing um with all due respect and love to my mother <laughs> but, um the point here would be if somebody's grown up in that culture they yeah. have to succeed and then suddenly we say to them, we'll talk about your failures. That's a really scary thing to do. How, yeah. how might you encourage them to be more comfortable with that? And first of all, just because it doesn't feel comfortable doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. You know, anything that feels unfamiliar is going to feel uncomfortable initially. This was actually one of the points I'll come to about self-criticism as well in my sort of three top tips. And it's something I don't know about yourself, but I find having this kind of a conversation with a lot of clients about 
do you know what? Sometimes you have to feel a little bit uncomfortable because all the things we do to cope, we do those things for a reason because they help us feel safe. They feel like the right way to go about things. So, of course, if I come along and say, actually, no, do things differently, of course, it's going to feel uncomfortable. But we're like with most things, the more you persevere, the easier it gets. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the time, if we're doing things like hiding our failures or whether it's being overly perfectionistic or whether we're people pleasing too much or working too hard to try and impress you know, all those things where we'll be talking about burnout, but all those things are not really sustainable strategies. Yes. They only help you really in that moment. Yes. They're not yes. a long term way. They're exhausting. They're exhausting. Hiding your failures is exhausting. It's so much easier almost to hold your hand up and say, yeah, that was me. Can we deal with it now and move on? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I like the reminder of it will feel uncomfortable and that's okay because I think we know that and we know that when it comes to physical exercise. Yeah. It's so less often explicitly stated when it comes to mental and emotional exercise or mental and emotional fitness so thank you for that reminder I think that's very powerful (laughs) now with your self-criticism how how -hmm. can we stop that inner voice from taking over okay well I gave this a lot of thoughts and obviously I'd go into it a lot more lot more detail on the course or with the client but I've tried to bring it down to those kind of three top tips if you like and this is more like um a a three-step sort of mini program if you like Love it. Uh, so the first one is initially to become more aware of how you talk to yourself, because, you know, in order to change anything, you've got to become aware of what you're doing. So maybe spend a day noting down what thoughts go through your head when you're criticizing yourself, when you feel like you're not doing well enough, when you've made a small mistake. Or you can either keep a notepad by your side and write them down. Although I must admit, I've had clients come in and say, I could never have written them down. It's just full of swearing and profanities and insults. It was awful. Um, (laughs) Or you might want to spend sort of five minutes at lunch or at the end of the day, just mindfully reflecting on how do you speak to yourself when you make a mistake and not at your best? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe name that gremlin, you know, name that self-criticism inner critic. Call it something that allows you to ridicule them and not take them too seriously. so number two, so if number one was, you know, becoming aware, number two, I'm, I'm asking people to question it. Yeah. So sometimes, yeah, so sometimes a good way to do that is to shift perspective. Consider what would, you know, would I ever talk to somebody else I respected or cared about like this? You know, mm. could you imagine saying that to somebody else? Say somebody else in the workplace that had made the same mistake. Would you say the same words to them? Mm. And if not, why not? Think mm. about what it would do to them. And think about, you know, even if they did need to change or improve, would what would those words motivate them to do that? Yeah. yeah. And you can, yeah, and you can also uh, switch it the other way as well and think, okay, if, if somebody else, a third person overheard someone else talking to me in that way, would, would everyone be okay with that? Or would somebody say, oh, my word, why are they talking to you like that? That's terrible. That's also, clever. Yeah. That's very clever because I, – Yes, the the one about the would I talk to somebody else like that, I almost, and I often find it's the most academic, the most intelligent (laughs) clients who will say, oh, no, they'll they'll have reasons in their head as to why they don't do it in that way. But I love the, if somebody heard you speak to somebody like that, and and then suddenly it brings in that, I guess, concern about how you're perceived, and that actually almost uses 
the, the feelings of imposter syndrome to help you. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's realising that what you're doing, if you're criticising yourself all day, is you're bullying yourself. Yeah. That will have a real effect on your brain and on your emotions. Yeah. And it That's... won't be helping your motivation if you do need to change anything. That's, that is absolutely great to just think about what would somebody else say if they heard me speak like that to to someone, including myself. That That's yeah. really powerful. Yeah. These are very good. These, I mean... Oh, my thank goodness. You. I think you've got a, t- a, th- a third tip. I have, the last one. Number three, the last one. And I have sort of just covered this uh, just before talking about imposter syndrome. So the third tip, if we had first one being awareness, second one being questioning, the third one is about, you know, starting to change. And the first thing I've, I kind of no- noted down on my notes here is expect to feel uncomfortable at first. As I said, you've behaved this way for a reason. Maybe you've criticised yourself because... You know, at one point in your life, it might have been a smart strategy to be constantly self-monitoring your behavior like that. Mm. You know, for example, a child coming from a traumatic past, it makes sense that they would always be watching their behavior, watching what got good uh, reactions and what didn't. You know, so have some compassion for that part of you. Maybe it was a smart move at one time. But, you know, try and get used to talking to yourself in the way you would talk to somebody else. And stick with it, even if you don't feel like you have compassion for yourself yet. Try and at least be committed to trying and persevering. And it does get easier and it will become second nature. That's really nice. Commit to persevering. That That's yes. really important. And that's helpful for anything that we do, whether it's learning a new skill or any kind of personal change. Yeah, commit true. to persevering. Yeah. Jill, where can we learn more about you? Where can we get onto your cause and so on please um you will find me my website is www.rethinktherapyconway.com so that's all one word rethink therapy conway and the conway is spelt c-o-n for november w-y rethinktherapyconway.com and you'll see a link at the top of the page to my uptrained brain program and you'll also see my social media links as well you might want to follow there because i'll Shortly, this uh, by the end of this month, I'm hoping to put out a free webinar or two. Fabulous. Thank you so much for joining me, Jill. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you. Well, thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. And that's all we have time for. But if you'd like to find out more, do go to my website, which is www.draudreyt.com and check out my articles, which give you practical tools to live your best life. Or you can go to my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Audrey Tang, Tools to Thrive.